You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Previously, we examined the migration of those early Muslims to Abyssinia or modern-day Ethiopia. About 82 or 83 men and women migrated to the land of Najashi. Now some of those migrants, about 30 of them, after two or three months returned back to Mecca. Why did they return back to Mecca? Based on historical clues, we can conclude that the reason why they migrated back to Mecca or went back to Mecca is that once Quraysh, the powerful elites of Mecca realized that Islam is getting stronger, 80 Muslims have left, we can no longer persecute them and they realized that Islam is now spreading elsewhere, they kind of backed off from harassing the Muslims. So there wasn't really a truce between them and the Prophet They were still at war with the Prophet. But things calmed down. They realized an important turning point had happened. Many Muslims had fled. So they were thinking deeply, what's our next step? What is our next move? So there was a relative calm in Mecca as Quraysh was figuring out what's the next step. Apparently news reaches to those migrants in Abyssinia that there's a truce between Quraysh and the Prophet as a result of this calm. So they thought this could be a permanent truce. So they went back to Mecca. Remember it's not easy to leave your hometown, your house, your life and your city. So about 30 or so of them did return back to Mecca. But when they came to Mecca, they were you know, shocked that there was really no truce. The Quraysh were just thinking how they would strike next. So this is the correct opinion upon historical analysis of why those Muslims went back. There's another opinion that's mentioned in historical books. We find it in books of history, especially with Sunni schools of thought. It gives us a very problematic story of why those Muslims went back to Mecca. Some of you may be familiar with the incident, it's called the incident of Gharaniq or the Satanic Verses. If you've ever heard about the book by Rushdi, Satanic Verses, it revolves around this fabricated event that never really happened. So basically, this is what happened. According to this story, was that about two months after Muslims migrated to Habasha, the Prophet was one day sitting down with pagans, debating them, discussing with them, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to him Surah Al-Najm, then Jibra'il 
reaches verse 19 and 20 of Surah An-Najm. أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ اللَّاتَ وَالْعُزَّةَ وَمَنَاتَ الثَّالِثَةَ الْأُخْرَى Allah is mentioning the three main idols in Mecca. Lat, Uzza, and Manat. So the verse is translated like this. Have you considered these deities, these idols? And have sons, and you have sons, but the daughters are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the following verse. أَلَكُمُ الذَّكَرُ وَلَهُ الْأُنْثَى Because this was a pagan belief that the angels are females and, the, and they're the daughters of God. But we have sons, God only has daughters. They insulted God that way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attacks them for these fictitious beliefs. So Allah says, have you considered these idols? Why are you worshipping these idols? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is inviting them to contemplate, not to worship these idols. Well, when the Prophet mentioned these three idols, Lat, Uzza, and Manat, according to this fabricated story, Satan came and he inserted words into the mouth of the Prophet. What did he say? These are the high gharaniq, the cranes or beautiful high-ranking birds in reference to these deities. And their shafa'a, intercession is expected. Pagans were shocked. Finally, Muhammad comes to common grounds with us. Then the Prophet continues Surah Al-Najm until he gets to the verse of sujood because there's a wajib sujood in Surah Al-Najm. The Prophet prostrates to Allah, the pagans prostrate with him to their idols because they believe now he's recognized our idols finally. He's mentioned Lat, Uzza and Manat and he said they can do Shafa'a for us because Satan inserted those verses. So they figured Muhammad is finally compromising. There was now a truce between the Muslims and the pagans. Those migrants in Habasha hear about this truce so they come back to Mecca. This is the fictitious story that we hear. It's called the story of Gharaniq. Now interestingly Bukhari narrates that not only did the pagans and the Muslims prostrate, the jinn also prostrated. It was such an important <laughs> event or incident that everybody prostrated, humans, jinns, everyone. It was such an important you know, uh, incident. So Mecca cheered, finally there was an, an agreement with pagans to the point that the pagans carried the Prophet in this alleys of Mecca cheering. Yeah, these are what these fictitious historical accounts state, yes. Yes, they believe that Satan, he inserted those words and then the Prophet was alerted by Jibra'il. So this is what happened. At night, Jibra'il comes. Usually at night, Jibra'il would come and review the Holy Quran with the Prophet. You know, today, so-and-so verses were revealed, let's review them. So Jibra'il comes that night, he tells him, okay Muhammad, Messenger of God, review these, review the surah with me. So the Prophet is reading until he gets to these verses, right? 
these two, well let's not even call them verses, these two words about the idols that the Quraysh used to worship. When the Prophet recites that, Jibreel tells him, hold on, what did you just recite? He told him, didn't you teach me these verses? He says, no, that's not part of the surah. Where did you get that from? That's kufr, gharaniq, these idols, and they will do shafa'ah? I never taught you that. So Jibra'il rebukes the Prophet. So the Prophet says, did I attribute to God something he didn't say? Jibra'il then notifies him that this was Satan who put those words in his mouth. <laughs> Can you believe how some people view our Prophet Some so-called Muslims. How can you be a true Muslim when Satan is playing around with verses? Unfortunately, Orientalists, you know, uh, in the last two, three centuries, they have placed a lot of attention on the story of the Satanic verses. And many of them believe in this. Yeah, this was their prophet. Satan could cast words into his mouth. And then they argue that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals verses 73 to 75 of Surah Al-Isra. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, now by the way, let me comment here. Sometimes when you hear these fabrications, they sound so obvious that they're false, right? But remember, those people who would fabricate were smart. They would use verses from the Quran that substantiate their claim by misinterpreting them. That's why in the Quran we have the mutashabih verses and the muhkam verses, the solid very clear verses and then the verses that are not so clear. In Surah Ali Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states why we have such verses in the Quran, the ambiguous verses, why? Because Allah says those who have a disease in their hearts, they follow the ambiguous verses and they insert their own opinions. See, God wants to test us. These are some verses they use to substantiate their claim. I'll read you the translation of verses 73 to 75 of Surah Al-Isra. So the translation goes like this. They had almost led you away from what has been revealed to you, that you may invent things about us besides those revealed when they would have taken you as friend. If we had not kept you constant, you had almost leaned towards them. This is Quran by the way. In that case, meaning if you would have leaned towards them, Ya Rasulullah, we would have made you test a double anguish of life and a double anguish of death, meaning we would have punished you and you would not have been able to find a helper against us for yourself. What do you think of this verse? See, if you don't go to Ahlul Bayt to see what's going on with this verse, you could say, you know what? 
this verse could be compatible with this fabricated story because Allah is clearly saying that you would have been swayed towards them had we not kept you firm and fixed maybe you would have leaned towards them you might have invented certain things that's the apparent meaning of the verse yes That when you read the Quran, seek refuge to Allah from the Satan because supposedly he can, for example, have an influence on you. I didn't see them using that particular verse, but they do use verses like these. But yes, if you want to misinterpret verses, you can also misinterpret that one. Yes, brother. So generally speaking, before the Prophet jinns, not just Satan, jinns could take human form and interact with people. However, after the birth of the Prophet and the advent of Islam, they were banned from doing that. Yes, we do have references in our hadith. Now, when it comes to this verse, what's the meaning of it then? See, the Prophet really cared about his people. Sometimes he did want to negotiate with them, not in the sense of compromising, but to talk to them, for example, to try to have a peaceful conversation with them. Now, these evil people, they had conspiracies and plans to destroy the Prophet So the Qur'an is saying, O Messenger of God, had we not protected you, you might have tried more, give them, given them more chances so they would believe. But in the process, they would be planning to assassinate you. So we saved you from that. So it's not that you're inventing things in religion, no. The Prophet really cared about his people. He did not want them to be punished. He did not want them to, be, to stay pagans. So if it was up to him, he would have given them more chances, he would have tried more, but they're conspiring to kill him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him, if it weren't for us, you would have tried more, which is good because that's out of your humanity, Ya Rasulullah. If it weren't for us, then you would have perished. So it's not saying that if it weren't for us, that means you know, you would have invented verses in the Holy Quran and you would have succumbed to their desires. Of course not. That's not a quality of a prophet. That's one meaning. Another meaning is that Allah is saying, O oh Messenger, if it weren't for the infallibility that we gave you, then you would have compromised with them. So Allah wants people to know that God has given the Prophet the status of infallibility. It's because of that status that he does not yield to anyone. So this is a divine status. Don't think you can negotiate with a prophet because he is given a divine status by God. Don't try, don't waste your time. The prophet is not an emotional human whom you can argue with and eventually you could get your way. No, 
He's got infallibility. It's exactly like Yusuf The Quran says, if it weren't for the proofs of God that Yusuf saw, Burhan which is infallibility, he would have what? According to one tafsir, he would have given in, given in to Zulaikha when she invited him. To corruption, he would have given in. But because of infallibility, he did not. Same idea here. Allah is telling the Prophet, if it weren't for our favors on you, that we made you a prophet and we gave you infallibility and knowledge, yes, you would have given in, you would have given to, given in to them. Because humans under extreme pressure eventually give in. And the Prophet, if he was just a normal human, he would have given in. But because of the status of infallibility, he does not. That's the meaning of the verse. Yes, brother. The Quran says, She tried to invite him to corruption. And he also did. If it, were, if it were not for him seeing the proof of his Lord. So scholars have a number of views, what is that proof? Many scholars say that proof is a reference to infallibility, meaning if he was not an infallible prophet, he would have also given in. But because he's infallible, he did not. So the Quran is not saying he gave in, then we saved him. No, no, no. The Quran is saying, had it not been for infallibility, he would have given in. But because he's infallible, he never gave in. That's one tafsir. Of course, another tafsir is when she did that with him, he, he attempted to kill her. Not intentionally, but maybe to just, you know, physically defend himself, push her, and that could have gotten her killed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him a message or a sign, don't, just run away. Because if you physically push her or do something, she could accuse you as being the aggressor here. And then you have no way to defend yourself. Because then it will be proven that there's physical assault. Now imagine standing before the king in court and saying, oh no, I was just defending myself. Nobody's going to buy that. Whenever there's a case like that, the man is accused, not the woman, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired him, don't touch her, just leave. Even if you want to protect yourself, don't touch her. Because then she'll accuse you. And she did. But Allah using the shirt, he did uh, defend him. So the same idea exists here in these verses. Now there's another verse by the way, which is very important. And it shows you that when you don't follow the Ahlul Bayt, you can err in the Holy Quran. That's Surah Al-Hajj, verse 52 to 53. Those who believe in the story of Gharaniq and Satanic verses, they're like, yeah, verses 52 and 53 of Surah Al-Hajj confirm this. Well, what does Allah say? وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ وَلَا نَبِيٍ إِلَّا إِذَا تَمَنَّا أَلْقَ الشَّيْطَانُ فِي أُمْنِيَّتِهِ فَيَنْسَخُ اللَّهُ مَا, يلقى الشي... ما يُلْقِ الشَّيْطَانُ ثُمَّ يُحْكُمُ اللَّهُ آيَاتِهِ the translation, we have not sent a messenger or an apostle before you except that the omniya of shaitan, now the word omniya has been translated in two ways, one the recitations of shaitan, one the wishes of shaitan except that the recitations or w wishes of shaitan 
he would tamper with you. So every prophet we've sent before, shaitan, he tampered with the recitation or the wishes of the prophet. That's a verse in the Quran. The shaitan tampered with the recitation or the wishes of the prophet. So that's a verse in the Holy Quran. Yet God abrogates what Satan interpolates and, in, and interjects, then he confirms his revelations, for God is all-knowing and all-wise. So here we have a verse in the Quran that says, we have not sent a messenger except that Satan will insert something in his recitations or another translation says, in his wishes, the wishes of the Prophet. And they're like, yeah, look, this confirms the story of Gharaniq because that's what this shaitan did. He interjected words into the recitation of the Prophet How do we respond to that? Yes. So what is the Shia perceived? Yeah, we'll, we'll examine that. Right now in, in responding to this, we'll examine, we'll examine what 52 and 53 of Surah Al-Hajj means. So in any case, this was, you know, uh, this was a fabricated incident about the Gharani. By the way, not all Sunni scholars accept this. You have scholars like Bayhaqi, Baydawi, Razi, Nawawi, they've rejected these traditions. Like this contradicts the Quran, it contradicts logic and we cannot accept them, but many have also accepted them. So let's examine this incident. First of all, we see that these claims directly contradict the Quran because there's a verse in the Holy Quran and many verses in which Allah says, my servants, when Allah is talking to the devil, shaitan, Allah tells shaitan, you don't have authority over my servants. You have no authority over my servants. You cannot influence them in any way. Well, shaitan inserting words into the mouth of the Prophet, that's a type of authority that he has over the Prophet. And the Prophet didn't even know it. That's the worst type of authority. Jibra'il had to inform him later that night. So this contradicts the Quran. And whenever we have hadith that contradicts the Quran, what do we do with it? We dismiss it. We cannot accept a hadith that contradicts the Holy Quran. Number two, subhanAllah, Surah Al-Najm itself, in the beginning verses, Allah says, وَمَا يَنطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَىٰ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ You want a clear verse than that? He does not utter anything except revelation. He does not utter anything, nothing out of his own desire, except that it is wahi. But then a few verses later, oh the shaitan is going to insert verses. That's a contradiction. Who, who, who am I trusting here? How can I trust God when he says everything the prophet says is revelation, when uh, 19 verses later shaitan is interjecting verses? That's impossible. So this story of Gharaniq directly contradicts Surah Al-Najm itself which they're citing. So that's not possible. Number three, what's the meaning of verse 52 and 53 of Surah Al-Hajj? See the word Omniya in Arabic, some have used it to mean recitation, but that's not the real meaning of Omniya. The better translation is wish. Every prophet has a wish with their people. 
Let me ask you, what is usually the wish of a prophet with his people? For them to what? Follow him. The Quran is saying every prophet we sent has a wish, has this eagerness, right? This want, this desire that his people follow the truth. They stop the path of corruption and deviation and they embrace the path of righteousness. Shaytan tries to tamper with this wish. What does that mean? If I have a wish as a leader, Shaytan, he wants to impact that wish. How does he impact that wish? He misguides the people, right? If I have a wish for my people to follow me and to follow the path of guidance, Shaytan's goal is to mess up my wish, which means he goes and misguides the people. So when the Quran says, we have not sent a messenger in the past, except that Shaytan tried to tamper with their wish, it means every prophet's wish was to guide their people. Shaytan's wish is otherwise, to misguide the people. So the Shaytan, he goes and misguides the people. In doing so, he's trying to tamper with the wish of the prophet, but then Allah says, we have our own plan. We abrogate what the Shaytan does, whomever we see fit, we will guide. Shaytan cannot change that. God wants to guide someone, shaitan cannot get in the way. That's the meaning of it. Number two, as a Sayyidul Murtala, the you know, famous scholar of the past, he has a beautiful statement here. He says, fine, let's say the word omnia means recitation, not wish. Which is unusual because in Arabic the word omnia is not used to mean recitation. It means wish. For those who know Arabic, haven't you heard the word andi omnia? Have you heard this? Well, what does that mean? I have a wish, right? He's like, fine, fine. Let's say just for the sake of argument, it means recitation. Well, what does it mean for the shaitan to interject into the recitation? He says the meaning is very clear. When the prophet would recite words of truth to his people, shaitan would come to those evil ones and he would cause them to reject the recitation of the prophet. That's how he would tamper with it. He wouldn't change what the prophet would be saying. He would influence the evil ones how to accept the recitation from the prophet. So the prophet's reciting the Quran. They put their hands in their ears, they reject, nothing works. Shaitan would do that. So the shaitan has no authority. See, when you don't go to Ahlul Bayt for the tafsir of the Quran, this is what happens. SubhanAllah, I mean could God contradict himself? In one verse he says everything he says is wahi, but no, shaitan can you know insert things into his mouth and he can change his wishes and that's a contradiction. I have no respect for a book that is full of contradictions like that. You have to go to Ahlul Bayt and Ahlul Bayt beautifully tell us that the wish of every prophet is what? To guide their people. And shaitan wants to tamper with that wish by misguiding people. So the prophet doesn't see his wish being realized. That's the meaning of it. Now you could ask, well why does God put a verse like that that could go either way? To test us. Where's the test then? Why do we need Ahlul Bayt then? Allah is teaching us, you're not going to follow the Ahlul Bayt? This is where you'll end up, in contradictions, yes. that has the muhkam and mutashabih, it's on the first page of Surah Ali Imran, verse 7. It says we have two types of verses, the solid clear ones 
the mutashabih, ambiguous ones that could go both ways. And Allah says, the reason why we put them is to test people because those who have a disease in their hearts, they will misinterpret the mutashabih verses. So this is how we can understand, you know, the issue of shaitan trying to mess around with the revelation. We categorically reject that. It goes directly against the Qur'an. And remember, if shaitan can insert verses, how can you trust the Qur'an? The next day the Prophet is, is reciting new verses, I could have had an easy way out. Ya Rasulullah, oh Muhammad, who said what you're saying is true? Maybe the shaitan is doing it again. Would God allow that for a prophet? That would have been the best excuse for the pagans if that really happened. But did you ever hear in history they said that? No. That would have been a perfect excuse. Just like yesterday, shaitan spoke to your mouth and your mouth, well he could do it today and tomorrow and tomorrow and again and again. And when he appointed Imam Ali, maybe it was shaitan appointing Imam Ali. Now they would have come up with a billion excuses and rejected everything in Islam. How could God do that? That's impossible. But subhanallah, when it comes to Umar ibn al-Khattab, in their books they have hadiths that shaitan cannot go near Umar ibn al-Khattab. <laughs> yes, they have these hadiths in their book. إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَفِرُّ مِنْ حِسِّ عُمَرُ Shaitan runs away from Umar and anything related to Umar. That's a book. That's a book. That's a hadith in their books. Another hadith they have in their books that ever since Umar ibn al-Khattab became a Muslim, whenever shaitan would see him, he'd fall on his face to the ground because he'd be so afraid to see Umar. And then another hadith they have states that whenever Umar would go into a direction or a valley, shaitan would run away to the opposite direction. He can't go near Umar. But the Prophet ﷺ, the shaitan speaks, he inserts words, words into his mouth. Tragic, isn't it? Tragic. Yes. Someone had a question? So in any case, we reject the story of Gharaniq and satanic verses. That's not the reason why those Muslims came back from Habasha. It was because of the relative calm. So they were under the impression, you know, maybe Quraysh has changed their plans to harass us.